uh, have developed a new uh, a new thing happening at the church. It's a, a film production series. You're going to see that in a minute um, as we continue to talk about how we how we know truth and and you know we've been going through this series, the truth that we live, and and that has the double meaning of. That if you really say you know the truth, you know who Jesus is, you believe in God's word, that that should be coming out in your lives. But it also has the other way of saying how you're actually living tells us what you really believe is truth. And so we keep looking at that and ultimately we're trying to figure out more about what it means to be a healthy church. And if we're going to know truth, we need to be uh, disciples. But that can be, it can be really difficult, difficult in this world. And so, um, you know, we, we sometimes need these kind of illustrations to help us. And usually I don't advocate um, gambling, but this morning we're going to give you an opportunity to at least make a wager with the person next to you. Um, some of you have seen this thing called the shell game before, right? Shell game. So our, our film production crew uh, did this. So there's the candy in the middle, and you need to follow the cups, and you need to tell your person next to you which one you chose. You can't say after the fact, like, oh, yeah, that's the one, okay? That's, all right, all right. Where is it? Middle, center, left, right. Make sure they know. Here we come. Here comes the answer. Ah! Who got it right? Anybody got it right? Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. So, you look at the shell game, and sometimes that's how it seems like what's happening in our world today. Like, truth just keeps getting scrambled around. You keep hearing new things moving around. And then, you know, somebody gets it right. But, but the question I want us to think about today is not just, did we get it right? It's the question of, how did you get it right? Right? How did you know? How did you know where the candy was? Now, some people might say, well, I just guessed. And knowing truth by just guessing, it's kind of a dangerous thing. Some, of, some people might think like, no, I, I followed. I followed the cup. You know, and I, I knew which one because I followed the cup. But somebody else who did exactly the same thing guessed a different one. They used your same method, but they came up with a different answer. Um, what I could have said is, I watched the video before. So I remembered. I remembered where it was, right? But all of us would have a different, different reason for saying, this is how, how we know truth. How do, we, how, how do we know? You can't just simply say, because I saw it. It's more than what you saw. And when we think of something as serious as, as our faith, and we think about the truth that we're talking about, we're not just talking about the truth of where is the candy. We're talking about much more serious truth. We do need to know truth. But we also need to know how we know truth. And that is becoming more and more difficult because some people 
will say in this world that you cannot really know truth unless, unless somehow you can do some kind of scientific experiment on it. And we've talked about this before. The, the reason in Christianity we, we, we don't say you can do everything scientifically is because if God is working supernaturally, if God is doing things in a unique sense, you cannot just test it scientifically. People might say, you know, well, everybody can have their own truth. Everybody can have their own truth. And again, that seems to be like kind of the in vogue thing until our, our truths clash. Until we, we want the same thing. Until you say this is right and I say that's what you think is right is wrong. That's kind of what's happening in you know, our, our nation today with, the, you know, like with the, a lot of the things going on in the, in the political realm as we're going into a presidential year. There are people who, who believe socialism is right. It is the right thing. And there's other people who say it is the wrong thing. It's not just kind of wrong. It's not just another idea. It is wrong. How you know truth? And so the world that we live in, it's confusing not just because there's multiple truths that people believe, but it's also because that people don't know why they believe what they believe. How did they come to that? They don't even agree on the ways that we can come to understand truth. And so here's John, 2,000 years ago, helping this church discern between what's true and false Christianity. So even 2,000 years ago, you know, you have, you have these, this, this group that's already kind of, kind of come up in the church and, and is, is, can't accept the full teachings of, of, of the church and, and is trying to reinterpret them in a way that kind of jives with, with what they believe is truth. And... John, maybe John doesn't know all the damage their beliefs can do, but he knows some of it. And that's what's hard sometimes. What's hard sometimes is guys like John might, might get criticized because a lot of times the damage we do is, is not immediate. The damage, a little bit of variance off of, off of the truth, it's not immediate. I remember when we were in Scotland, one of the first people that we stayed with, they, they kind of helped us because we didn't have a house yet and everything. Um, you know, the, the woman was a nurse. And so Cheryl was talking with her about things we do in America that, you know, to take care of our kids' health, like, you know, we give them certain vitamins and, you know, pills. Um, I mean, not pills, but fluoride in the water and all these other things. And, and then the nurse is saying they don't do those things in the UK. And so, she, you know, Cheryl was like, oh. And, she, and the nurse said, and, and, she, and actually Cheryl said, so, you know, has, has that been a problem? And the nurse said, well, they're not dead yet. So <laughs> it's very Scottish, by the way. <laughs> they're not dead yet, you know. I guess it's working. They're 20 years old, and, you know, they're not dead yet. 
That's, that's not the greatest way to, to figure out if something is right or wrong just because I'm not dead yet. Because a lot of times, the things that do damage to us, they, they grow slowly, and they're not evident. And that's why this, this premium is placed on, on truth and having as pure truth as possible because variations, maybe today we can all get along, but down the line there's going to be problems. And that's, we can see that in church history. I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but, but we know what, what happens when people followed what the, what the false teachers were teaching because a lot of people in, in the church did. They followed them. And we know what happens. What seems to us like it's not that important, over decades and centuries, it becomes more and more and more important. It does matter. And so here's John. He's kind of coming to the end of his argument. And, and, and he's summing things up. But as I said last week, every time he sums something up, he adds another little element. And so here he says in verse 6 of 1 John chapter 5, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, when I used to read these verses a long time ago, and I'd read them, I'd look at them, and I would be like, what is all this blood, water, spirit stuff? And it'd kind of throw me off. And, and it's because I didn't really study the letter. I just was reading and trying to understand it as I read. But for us to really understand that, we have to kind of back up a little bit, remind ourselves of, of the, one of the problems that these false teachers had. And one of the problems they had is that they were cool with saying, Jesus is God, Son of God. They were okay with saying, yeah, he's, got, he's, he's definitely divine. The problem they had because of their, their Gnostic-type beliefs is they couldn't accept that Jesus was, was fully human. Because they, they, they couldn't see how the good spiritual could combine with the evil material. And so they just couldn't accept it. So they, later on we're going to hear what some of the kind of people who follow this kind of teaching, later on we're going to see what, what some of their ideas developed. And we're not 100% sure that these people at the end of the first century had them. But you can guess they had something like it. And so there, there could be, you know, there were some views like that Jesus was just a guy, you know, good guy, just, you know, going along one day and all of a sudden the, the sun, the word came upon him. 
And most of them thought it was at the time of his baptism. And so people who were, who were you know, these false teachers, they, they could accept that. So they could accept that, oh, when Jesus is baptized in water, that's when the Spirit came. Before that, Jesus was just like you and me, just a guy, just a dude, just a person. But then he's baptized, comes out, Scripture's very clear, hey, something new. Spirits come upon him. So John talks about that when he says, by the water. But then there was this part about the blood. And so what happens is that what, what these teachers later on would teach is that they couldn't imagine, you know, God suffering. They couldn't imagine him, you know, being whipped and all of these other things and dying on a cross. They couldn't accept it. And so what they believed was somewhere right before you know, the cross, the Son of God is gone, and then we're just left with Jesus, just the human Jesus. Now, if human Jesus is so overwhelmed by the Son of God, it must have been kind of freaky, because he was probably just walking along one day, boom, you know, there's, there's suddenly God's in, in, Son of God is in his life, he's now just being that way, and then right before, you know, he basically doesn't really know what's going on for the next two or three years, and then next thing he knows, you know, he's about to be put on a cross. Yeah, sounds kind of silly. Um, but this was what they believed, and John was trying to fix it. He was trying to say, guys, no, Jesus is fully God. He's fully human that it is by the water and the blood, both of these, that Jesus came to us. And so he's, he's trying to help them understand, and he's trying to tell the church, this is what we believe. You see, if you just believed in the baptism, you could, you could deal with this idea of water purifying us. And there are a lot of Christians who have that concept of Christianity. They think that all Jesus came to do was to make us clean. That he came to forgive us of our sins, make us clean, and then we just try to do the best we can. But John is trying to help them understand, no, something more happened. And when we look at him coming by the blood, we look at his suffering, we realize that Jesus just didn't make us clean that he didn't just pay the penalty for our sin because of what happens after the cross is the resurrection. And that if I only believe in the water, then I can live with this Jesus makes me clean kind of Christianity. But if I look at the cross, then I see more fully that Jesus didn't just make me clean, pays the penalty for my sin and then I look at the resurrection and I see that Jesus came to bring to, to bring power into my life to give me as the Bible says new life where I'm no longer my own 
It's not just a mind change. As Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians, we are new creations. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. So he's saying, you know, we need to accept all of this. We can't just take the parts we like. We can't just take the parts that fit with our kind of preconceived notions of what things should be. We accept it all. We're not just made clean, we're made new. And so he, he wants to say now, okay, that's the truth, but how do we know the truth? How do we know the truth? Well, the first way we know the truth is because of what we believe. In verse 10, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what you believe. You know what you believe. In fact, you don't only know what you believe, you know how much you believe it. You know if you believe in Jesus or not. He's not saying you know like in the sense of you have, you know, deep, deep knowledge. He's not saying that. He's, but he's saying you know what you believe. That, that I can't tell looking at you if you really believe. I, I can only see your actions. I can only hear your words. I can only try to understand your attitudes, but I really don't know if you believe. Because you could be doing that because you're just a nice person. You could be doing that because you're just a conformist and you just go along with whoever and if, you know, if we were a group of, you know, you know, hell's angels, you would be out there on your bike, you know, with your leather vest and every, you know, I'm trying not to picture some of you looking that way. But, you, you know, there's a people like that. They just kind of go along. They just go, and maybe that's why. Maybe you're doing it, you're doing, you do the things you do because you still have the sense of, I'm trying to earn my salvation. Or you're doing it just out of a sense of competitiveness. I want to be better than the person next to me. I don't know. I, I don't assume anybody's like that. But I don't really know. You know what you believe. And that's what John says to the church. If you believe, whoever believes in the Son of God, you know. It's a truth you cannot shake. It's a truth that even when you might have gone through moments in your life where, where, where you just thought you were going to live your own way. It's a truth that, that hounded you and drew you back. It's what you believe. And so that's the question you would have to ask yourself. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe he's the Savior of the world? Do I really believe that he didn't just make me clean, but he made me new? Do I really believe that, that when I had faith in Jesus Christ, his spirit came to live in my life and he is there still changing me? Do I really believe? 
That's what John is saying. He's saying, those of you who believe, you know. I don't have to convince you. You know. Because you believe. And some people try to, you know, make this, you know, I guess it's helpful in some ways, but they try to make this what I consider sometimes kind of a false dichotomy, a false distinction between your mind and your heart. And the Bible doesn't really necessarily think in those terms. It doesn't really express itself in those terms. But the truth is, you know what you believe, and you know how much you believe it. You know how much your beliefs are affecting your life. You know that if you're just a Sunday Christian who just comes because you know you know you want to be able to check off the box that you came and you know that keeps the man upstairs happy for the rest of the week. You know that. You know if that's you. But you also know if you're the person who you know like I'm really bad at this Christian stuff. I'm not good at all. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I, you know, I'm here, and I, you know, but, but, but there's something inside of me that, that keeps pushing me to change and to grow, that keeps pushing me to, to overcome my fears, to overcome the things that, that, that I know hold me back, to overcome those whispers in my voice of saying, you're not good enough, or you'll never be as as holy as that person or as, or as intellectual as that person or you'll never be as spiritual as others. That's there that keeps pushing me and doesn't let go of me. You know that. And that's what John, he keeps appealing to that. Throughout 1 John, we've seen this so many times when he says, you know the testimony inside of you. It doesn't mean we don't need help. This morning in, in our Sunday school class, we were going through Ephesians, and we were looking in, in the second chapter of Ephesians, and, and Paul reminds the Gentile Christians. He reminds them, he says, he says, this is who you were. This is how hopeless you were. This is how helpless you were. Remember that. And then he says, and this is what God is pouring out in your life now and he's going to continue to pour out for the rest of your life. Know that. So he reminds them of who they were and that Christ rescued them out of that. And he reminds them of what God is doing. The the. Picture I use today is is this this idea that if if you fell into a pool and you know you hit your head or you can swim and someone saved you and they pulled you out, you would be grateful that they pulled you out. That would be more than enough. It was hopeless and helpless, and you were pulled out. And but God doesn't just pull us out and of the pool and leave us on the side of the pool. He pulls us out and, and he pours grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. He does so much more than just save us. 
But if we're honest, sometimes we only want him to save us. We only want him to get us out of trouble and put us on the side of the pool and leave us alone. And John is trying to help them understand that's not Christianity. That's something, but it's not Christianity. How do we know truth? Well, the second way we know truth is because we are clean. We know because we are clean. It doesn't mean we're sinless. Again, context. John repeatedly says, you are not sinless. No one is sinless. If you say you're sinless, you're, you're a liar and you're calling God a liar. We're not sinless. But we're clean. What does that mean? Well, it means this for sure that you may not feel. But it means that before God, he sees you as clean. Even though you still are doing stuff. Even though there's still stuff in your heart and your life. The Bible tells us that God sees us He sees us with the righteousness of Christ. If anybody here thinks they deserve that, I'm just going to tell you, you're wrong. You're crazy. That God sees us. That Christ's blood, his righteousness, covers us. If that doesn't overwhelm you with the sense of, of just love and gratefulness to God, I, I don't know what to tell you. But I know we don't always feel that way. I know we should feel that way. I know we should feel that, 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 that guilt. It's, you know, I'm not talking about you know we did something wrong, we feel bad about it. That's normal. That happens. You should feel bad about it. Guilt's not a bad thing. In the hands of a skilled practitioner, like a good mom or dad, guilt is powerful, right? But I'm talking about the guilt that cripples. The guilt that makes you think God could never do anything with you. That, yeah, he could save you, but that's all. That guilt that says, I'm too bad, or I'm too far gone. That guilt, I'm going to tell you, it should be gone. It should be gone. But I know a lot of Christians still struggle with it. And I think they struggle with it sometimes because they have done things I've never thought were possible to do. That they have deep thoughts, dark thoughts. And it's this feeling of, of, of guilt that they just cannot overcome, especially as they learn more and more and more about what it means to follow Christ and they want to follow Christ, but they can't let go of this. But let me just tell you this morning, if that's you, if that's you, I'm not going to 
tell you that you can just pray and God's going to make all those things go away. But I'm going to tell you this. He does not want those things to cripple you. He does not want those things to make you think that, that he cannot still use you and that he doesn't still love you and that he hasn't given up on you even if you might be close to giving up on yourselves. It's gone. And it's a great thing because it's not gone because we no longer make mistakes. That's not why it's gone. And so even while we're still making mistakes, even while we're still working through that, and even if we don't always feel it, the guilt is gone because of what Christ has done in our lives. And we can stand clean. I'll tell you the feeling that we... That, that, that I, that, that I want, always look for because I, I want to know this. The way that I can know. What is that thing inside of me that I can know, especially when I feel overwhelmed? And that is when, that is when our present sin that we are doing right now and the sin we know we can commit in the future, we no longer just accept it. We no longer say, that's just how it is. That even if we can't get it out, we want to get it out with every fiber of our being. I've never heard anyone with cancer say, oh, cancer's awesome. You know, I just love cancer. It's great. More cancer for me. They all have something in common. They want it, want it out. When Cheryl was, was diagnosed, you know, she was like, you know, we could schedule it here, you know, my surgery here, we could schedule it here. And here's my advice. You're going to make the decision. Here's my advice. Get it out as soon as possible. Get it out as soon as possible. All of it, as much, as soon as possible. Don't make your decision based on anything else. Don't make it based because it's Super Bowl Sunday or, you know, I think our daughter's graduation. It's like, as soon as possible. And I've never known anybody who gets to the point of cancer being terminal. That if someone said, we can get it out, and it's not going to be terminal anymore, that they would, they would be like, oh, no, thank you. I like it. I've gotten used to it. It's kind of cool. Now I get sometimes they don't want to go through like the chemo and everything like that, but they're not happy. They're not satisfied. And I think that's the attitude we should have towards the sin in our lives, the guilt that we feel, anything that's holding us back. And it's hard because we, we end up fighting against ourselves. And there's something inside of us that wants to hold on to those things for whatever reason. We've gotten used to them. They make us feel comfortable. They, they, that's how we defended ourselves and our psyche from the world. And we don't really want to fully trust. And the last thing is that we know because we are made new. You see, when he's talking about the, 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 the three that testify, you know, we talked about 
the water and the blood. But he's also talking about three in a different way as he writes throughout this, this whole passage. And one we've talked about, it's, it's the spirit. You know, the, the spirit testifies. And that's the, that's the inner witness in us. That's the inner witness of the spirit, of knowing the knowledge that not just what we believe, but that we have been indeed changed. But he's also talking about the, this, this, the, the work of Christ. And how would they have known the work of Christ, you know, 60 years after Christ had ascended into heaven? How would they know? Well, they knew this from the apostles' teachings. They knew it from the oral tradition. And they knew it from personal experience. And then there's the testimony of God. And again, what, are they, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about the testimony of God. He's, he's partly talking about what they considered the scriptures, which is the Hebrew scriptures. When the early church read the Hebrew scriptures, they saw Jesus everywhere. They saw redemption everywhere. They saw God's plan everywhere. And so he's saying that. But he's also saying the same thing. It's like Jesus himself, Jesus himself told us things and he passed them down to the apostles. We we, we know truth because we have these, these witnesses. And so certainly... We are people of the, of the Word. That's why we want to be disciples. That's why we want to know. But we're also people that should be experiencing, that should be living truth. So it's what we believe. It's knowing that we're clean. And it's knowing that we are new. How do we know we're new? How does the Spirit do this? What is the evidence well, one is, of course, we're becoming more like Jesus. I've asked this question before, and believe me, I don't like to ask this question. I don't like to ask this question because I don't want to ask it of myself. But I ask the question, am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Am I more like Jesus today than I was a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago? Am I becoming more like Jesus? That's what it means to be new. The Spirit is changing us. Do I have, you know, the fruit of the Spirit more abundant in my life, more evident in my life? Do I have a greater understanding of grace? Do I have a greater understanding? Am, am I more humble? Do I have more patience? Do I have more kindness? Do I have more love? Am I more forgiving? Am I more servant-hearted? Are those things changing? Or am I the same person I was back then? And see, it doesn't matter if when you became a Christian years ago, you were a super nice, cool person. You still weren't Jesus. It's a lot easier if when, right before you became a Christian, you were a terrible, selfish, horrible person because you can see the difference more. But the question is, am I more like Jesus? And it's hard. It's a hard question to answer because it sounds like bragging. Well, don't tell anybody. Just think about it. I think you know. But even when you can't become more like Jesus, do you still want to be? Do you still want to be? 
Do you even really want to stop sinning even when you cannot? Even if you, you have that thing in your life, maybe it's something psychological, maybe it's from, your, from you know, how you were brought up or trauma that you've experienced, that you cannot escape it on your own. You need help, but you want to desperately. That's the case to me. Evidence that you've been made new because you're not giving in. So even when you don't think you can become more like Jesus, there's that deep desire. Are we new? Are we clean? And what do we believe? That's how we know truth. It's how I know truth. Oh, I've studied enough. I know all the arguments for the veracity of Scripture. I know I can do apologetics. I can do all of that. But ultimately, none of that matters if I don't know the Spirit in my life making me new. If I don't really believe that I stand before Christ, before God clean and Christ's righteousness. Our experience, it does matter. How we live, it does matter. Because it not only is a way we express truth, it's a way we can confirm truth in our lives.